This block operates under the same rules as the rest of the city. Mama is not the law. I am the law. Hello, citizen, and welcome to a special bonus edition of The Bunker. This one's not for everyone, but if this is your sort of thing, well, you know who you are. Why have a podcast company if you can't talk about the things you love? So... What can a bloody, violent, horribly funny comic book tell us about the increasingly repressive nature of real-world policing? Judge, jury and executioner in one man, Judge Dredd is the merciless policeman of the vast future American conurbation Megacity One, which covers the entire eastern seaboard. Dredd's adventures have appeared in Britain's infamous 2000 AD comic every week since 1977, corrupting a generation of young minds, including Frank Skinner, Phil Oakey from the Human League, Ian Dunt, Lemmy from Motorhead, Johnny Vegas, and me. He's been filmed twice in a fairly terrible, supposedly comic version from 1995, starring an appallingly hammy Sylvester Stallone, and again in Alex Garland's much more faithful, much more violent, and much more, well, better movie, Dread, starring Carl Urban back in 2012. But was this tough but fair, but mainly tough, lawman intended as a warning of the future, or a manual for how to oppress a society. How did the creators of Dread and his repressive system, writer John Wagner and artist Carlos Oscara, foretell new law and order phenomena that range from mass surveillance to qualified immunity for cops who kill to the militarisation of the police? And does the popularity of this brutal anti-hero tell us something about what some of us might secretly want from policing? These ideas and more are explored in I Am The Law, How Judge Dread Predicted Our Future, published on the 23rd of February by Michael Mulcher, who's the publicity manager of 2080 Comic and also a comics journalist. Welcome to the bunker, creep. <laughs> Thank you. What an appropriate setting for a talk about um, a post-nuclear future. It's very much, we, we, we do record in, a, in an ISO cube. So, that, so the copy of I Am The Law that you sent me was inscribed AJAB, All Judges Are Bastards, which warmed my heart. I mean, I've loved this story for 46 years, but we are essentially cheering on police brutality from a fascist, aren't we? Uh, uh, yeah, pretty much. No, it, <laughs> well, the, the, the wonderful thing about Judge Dredd is, uh, for those who, 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 who don't know, you know, he's you, been in every issue of 2000 AD pretty much since um, 1977. For so many people, uh, he's, he's, he's a perfectly straightforward character, very single faceted. You know, he's, he's, he's a hardline cop. The thing that I've long realized about it is it's a bit of a Rossach test. You can kind of guess an awful lot about somebody based on their reaction to a character like Dredd when, when they actually uh, read him. So, in my role as the publicity guy for 2008, I see an awful lot of people, you know, go, Oh, we need Judge Dredd on the streets. And you know, I hope you really read this properly uh, or just uh, uh, sort of scan the surface detail. So, yeah, it, it, it's it's one of those tips where on, on the face of it, it uh, fetishizes and uh, valorizes right-wing hardline policing. Actually, when you uh, when you read it all and scratch, even just not even beneath the surface, sometimes it's, it's right there on the surface. It is this incredibly intense, very apposite, incredibly prescient uh, satire of policing and power and the authoritarian bent that politics in Britain began to really take in the 1970s, uh, 1968 and 1969, you know, the, the, the time of the great social and political revolutions uh, in, in, in the West, through the backlash of the 1970s, when law and order, you know, the, those, those three terrifying words really came to dominate our politics. And Dredd was like right there, 1977, you know, influenced by Dirty Harry, uh, by the Sweeney, uh, Hill Street Blues, you know, all, all, all this, what we would now class as copaganda. Dread was there and, and reflected and predicted how this change 
in our world, how this change in, in, in our politics would, would, would play out and, and stands as a, uh, an incredible predictive warning of what the end game of politicians thumping copies of Hayek's books onto you know parliamentary uh, committee tables and all sorts uh, in the nineteen uh, in the nineteen seventies would result in. Can you describe the mega city justice department and the judge system for the uninitiated and, and kind of how it came to be? Because you know, in a lot of ways, it's a classic case of a decaying democracy embracing authoritarianism, kind of for the time being, just till we sort it all out, and the time being turns out to be forever. Basically, what, what has happened is in about the mid-20th century, there was a, a vast uh, nuclear war um, against the backdrop of, of increasing urbanisation. Robert Bad Bob Booth, uh, the last president of the United States, instigates a, 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 a first-strike nuclear war against um, the, the, the rest of the world, effectively, safe in the knowledge that these vast screens, laser screens, would protect the United States. In the devastation, the uh, that follows the, the the judges who are this um, quasi paramilitary third force. So you know both both police and military at the same time assume power. They depose Bad Bob Booth um, for what he did, and they take over the vast urbanized east coast of America, um, which at the time was meant to be eight hundred million people, but that's a frighteningly small amount now. <laughs> Uh, they represent the the culmination of what we would consider to be a police state. They control every aspect of uh, life, of government, of civil society in uh, Mega City One. So everything from welfare to warfare is administered by the police, um, and the judges have complete power um, to judge, sentence, and even execute people on the spot. You know, the whole legend of Cincinnati, well, not legend, but the story of Cincinnatus, you know, the Roman... Well, unfortunately, Boris Johnson brought it back to attention very recently. You take power, and then when the job is done, you return to your plough, although in his case, he's just returned to hobnobbing with Zelensky. But I digress. Yeah, (laughs) well, exactly. I mean, I I think there are several other more fitting Roman figures, but... um, uh, you get somebody like uh, George Washington, who who you know was the modern Cincinnatus, you know, uh, picked up the sword and then put it down to take up the plough again. And that's something that's, that's really only uh, kind of cropped up in recent years. In 2006, there was a storyline called Origins, where John Wagner, the, the original co-creator of Judge Dredd, actually laid down what the origin story of the judges was. And you have Judge Fargo, Judge Eustace Fargo, the founder of the judges back in the 20, uh, in the 21st century saying it wasn't meant to be forever and saying to dread specifically you know it, it was only meant to be temporary we i only did it to get us through the crisis they don't just perpetuate the crisis that they were meant to solve they embody the crisis that they were meant to solve so policing has become the be all and end all of all government it is the the cause of and solution to all of society's problems. And this is the point you make very strongly throughout the book, which has a fantastic cover, which is essentially a very recognisable modern uh, riot police officer covered in leather and shoulder pads and tough gloves and just painted on the visor is the very well-known kind of red, dread visor motif. And you look at it and you go, my God, we actually have the judges are among us now. Yeah, I, I've got to do a shout out to um, Pai Pa, who was the um, artist on the cover and designer of the book. Uh, he, he just got it immediately. Like, I don't think I, uh, I've seen a cover that so succinctly embodies what the book is about. We're at a, a point where um, 
the steamroller of, of law and order that's, that's that's gone through the last 40, 50 years is beginning to, 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 to reach its ideal state. The last of those pesky rights based around the, the notion of our ability to disrupt and to dissent and to, to actually refuse to submit are slowly being uh, eroded. We saw this during um, the BLM protests um, in uh, 2020. British people um, reassured themselves that, well, at least we don't have cops like they are in America. You know, they can't just shoot us on the spot. And and, and some American reformers kind of pointed at uh, the, the Metropolitan Police and, and the British Police and the, the notion of policing by consent, which is this big myth, uh, big mythological ideological structure that has been built around British policing to, to, to justify and sustain it. And it's true, uh, you know, in, 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 t- in terms of the, the weapons at their disposal, um, there, there's no real comparison. But that doesn't mean that people aren't dying at the hands of, of the police. I can't remember the exact statistic. What was it 1,700 people died in police custody over the last 20, 30 years? And, and there's been one or two prosecutions. There's a lack of uh, accountability in the British system. Hundreds, thousands of, of people who should never be in that position of authority, not being fired, not being disciplined, not you know, not not being taken away from the public. And and yes, you know, these things are a, a, a very much a, a wider societal problem. But the rest of society doesn't exercise a monopoly of force <laughs> on the rest of society, you know, and and that's where I think dread really comes in as a as a fantastic um, metaphor, as a, a, a character with incredible predictive power, because he goes, well, look at the ideological structure that you've built around policing, and actually start to think where it's leading you, where where you're going to, when you're taking away the right to strike, when you're taking away um, people's ability to, to 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 protest. Are we really that far away? <laughs> One thing that the, the comic is always very good at doing is that it's it's not sort of a Jeremiah because it all repeatedly poses the question of yes you you know you wouldn't want to live in this city that is which is a police state where absolutely everyone is in fear at all times of being pulled up by the judges who will find a reason to put you in a cube where you can get a knock on the door at any time of night and the judges have absolute right to search every aspect of your life and they will find something and even there's a great story where they find a guy who's clean and this makes dread go there's got to be something wrong with this guy nobody's clean and that is then played out but what it also raises every single time is you might hate all this but ultimately crime is real and do you want to be defended against it and there's often some heavily kind of satirical moments where somebody will be standing in the wreckage of their lives which has been destroyed by a huge fight between the judges and some kind of i don't know a guy in a giant exoskeleton or a tyrannosaurus or something and the last scene will be the citizen saying thank you for protecting us judge dread i don't know where we'd be without you it is not just a straight up anti-police jeremiah is it this is embodied in in one of the most morally compromised uh, and ambiguous moments in i think the history of all comics which is uh, the end of a, a storyline called the apocalypse war bear in mind this is a comic that was created at the height of the cold war the Sov megacities uh, invading megacities with a massive nuclear barrage and then a land invasion and Dread leads this desperate guerrilla resistance against them. It speaks to the incredible power of the character that he can just switch from being a cop to being a war hero within the turn of a page. It's just, a- And it also makes it clear that essentially the police and the military are one. Absolutely, in absolutely. 
and uh, you get to the end of it, and spoilers if if uh, anyone hasn't read it or, or does want to read. And Dredd's in a position where he's able to uh, fire one of the the Sov missiles at their city, at East Meg East Meg One. One of the the, the Sov judges, you know, pleads with him, say you can't just wipe out. Um, uh, you know, a billion people in one go. And Dredd says, you know, my city's in ruins. Millions of my people are dead. Request denied. And he just presses the button. Like, there's not even a moment of hesitation. There's no circumspection. There's no um, sense of, should I do this? He just goes, pure, absolute revenge. Click. And a billion people wiped out in nuclear fire. Now, what's amazing about Dredd is that that decision has echoed down the years. The survivors of East Meg One try to get their revenge and they wipe out 80% of um, megacity population with uh, uh, the, vi- the chaos bug, which is like a modified um, flu virus. And, and it's quite, it, it, considering what's happened in the last few years, it's quite a difficult story to revisit now. Yeah. Because essentially uh, they succeed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They, they bring megacity one to its knees. You know, it, that gives just this incredible context to Dredd's decision. Because ultimately, he is responsible for the consequences of his decision to do that. There's a wonderful story, actually, uh, called Lawmaster on the Loose, where um, one of the, the, the massive bikes that the judges ride around on, it's, it's a walking arsenal. You know, it's got a laser, it's got machine guns, it's got, and, you, you know, you can't, you can't really beat it. And one of them goes haywire after being damaged and uh, kills the judge uh, that was, that was um, using it. And there's this chaotic carnage as it plows its way through the city, you know, dozens, hundreds of judges trying to stop it and chasing it. And eventually it, it, it lands inside a, a monorail uh, car and slaughters everybody inside. And Dredd gets in and there's a Mexican standoff and he shoots the petrol tank. And it blows up and uh, there's just this scene of Dredd on the, the crumbling edge of this monorail track. With uh, and you're seeing him from behind, and in front of him uh, that he's facing is this pile of bodies, and onto his ankles, dangling over this mile high precipice, is this gurning citizen saying, "Oh, thank thank goodness you were here, Judge Dredd. What would we do without you?" <laughs> and what an yeah. incredible metaphor for the yeah, damage it's... that policing can do. Well, the book goes right into the progressive policing literature. It's a, there's a lot of footnotes in this book, and there's a lot of directions. You know, Stuart Hall, the eminent sociologist, features heavily. There's a whole load of the Black Lives Matter literature in there. It's, there's a lot of defund the police in there. Has anybody ever pitched a defund the judges storyline? Uh, well, funny enough, Rob Williams and Arthur Wyatt, who are two of our writers, um, they uh, recently uh, did a story called The Pitch, an accountancy judge called Judge yes, Maitland. The judges even run the accounts, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Judges do everything. <laughs> Literally yes. everything. She runs the numbers and goes, well, actually, if we, what if we massively increased the education budget and decreased the policing budget, the, the, the you know, Justice Department's budget, and all of her models say crime falls? She's a Blairite. Well, well, I mean... <laughs> That's, that's probably, She's tough on the causes of crime. That's that, that. Yeah, well, I mean, that's probably a conversation that we've got. Uh, uh, we we can have that could go on for a lot longer than this. She pitches it to the chief judge, the bureaucrat in chief, who 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 runs the city, and they and they basically go, no, of course not. We're not going to do this. Don't be ridiculous. It will be chaos. That's the ideological armor that the judges have, which is well, 
of, of course, judges stop crime. We see that in in uh, discussions around policing now. You know, it, it, the situation is slightly different in in Britain, where to a degree, the police have been defunded because of austerity, and they find themselves struggling. But then, all the other parts of government have been defunded as well. So that's the story I was thinking. Actually, I'm fascinated to see how the pitch plays out because effectively, mm-hmm. if you decide that you're going to take this. Uh, urban dystopia where unemployment is 97% and the citizens fill their days by pointless things like bat gliding or heading eggs into a bucket or recreational dishwashing, all the hilarious, stupid comedy of dread, which grew out of the unemployment crisis of the 1980s. If you take that and you start to try and fix it, that's the end of the reality of the strip, isn't it? The star of the strip in many ways is Megacity One, which is the, the, the futility of modern urban living, where it the few jobs that are there are terrible and pointless and futile and boring, and most people don't have a job, and that's what generates crime. If you try and reconstruct Mega City One, you've almost destroyed the the premise of the strip, haven't you? There is someone that we have to mention before we go. All comic book figures have an arch enemy, and Dread's arch enemy is Judge Death. This extra dimensional, I believe the correct term is super fiend. Yeah. From a parallel Mega City One, where the problem of crime has been solved by reasoning that crime is only committed by the living therefore kill everyone and there'll be no more crime and it's an insane insane idea to for a kid's comic and a brilliant one and i can remember reading it when it came out in like what 1980 or something my mind absolutely blown but the fascinating thing about judge death who is this kind of rotten cadaver version of dread where the helmet would be as a kind of portcullis and where the eagle on his shoulder would be as a kind of rotting pterodactyl and the insignia is all bones and skulls it's amazing it's 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 very black metal but you make a point which i'd never thought of before which is that most arch enemies are the, are, are the the bad version of the polar opposite you know moriarty with uh, with holmes the master with doctor who and actually what death is is he's not the opposite he is the logical conclusion of what dread is that the city of death is actually mega city one where life has life is in the hands of the judges you can be killed for, for on, on the slightest pretext and there is no hope and i found that really fascinating yeah i mean it's, it's particularly startling in our modern world when, when you look at america at the moment where, where you know people are routinely killed for getting pulled over on the highway for minor offenses the book explores the concept of death worthiness the state justifies its use of lethal force by saying we deserved it. And it is only a hop, skip and a jump away from saying, well, at some point we're all going to deserve it. So when Dredd looks over Mega City 1, it, 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 very early on uh, in the strip, he'd, he'd, he'd spent some time on Luna 1, which is the moon colony. And he came back to, to, to Mega City 1 and he says, you know, Mega City 1, 800 million citizens, everyone a potential criminal. But God help me, I love it. But God help me, I love he it. He says. And I always wondered if he loved it because they're all potential criminals. One of the best Judge Dredd stories is a story called America, which is, isn't even about Judge Dredd. It, it's, it's about a young woman uh, and her, her best friend um, growing up in America, and she becomes a, a pro-democracy activist. Because, of course, in, in Judge Dredd's upside-down world, the terrorists are Democrats, and... She's betrayed by her best friend, a guy called Bennett Beanie. And again, spoilers, but she, she gets uh, shot. Beanie says um, to, to, to Dredd, you know, why, why did you have to do this? There was, she'd surrendered, but there was no point. And Dredd just stands there and he's looking off into the distance. Incredible art by Colin McNeil. And he says to encourage the others. 
And that's a line straight out of Candida, the, the, the Voltaire novel. And Voltaire was using it as a way of, of showing the ridiculousness of the, the, the bloody code, the English justice, basically, that had like two, three hundred capital offences. And for someone to use that line knowingly in a satire that had started out as being for children, you know, a fascist super cop in the future. It's just, it's such a complex thing. And and what what really struck me as I was researching for the book, this wasn't the book I intended to write. It's a book that emerged out of the reading that I was doing. Not 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 just, as you say, you know, kind of abolitionist stuff and, and critiques of policing, but, but, but just wider history. And it just again and again and again, it didn't, it almost didn't matter what dread story I picked up to read. There was an aspect in there that makes you go, oh my God. God, like these 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 guys are just geniuses. And and and, and Wagner said, you know, oh, I thought of it as throwing mud at a wall and seeing what sticks. I think he's underplaying just how smart him and and Alan Grant, who was his long term collaborator, died last year, very much missed. But they they were doing great work. And and so you know, whether it's from the golden that first golden age in in the the, the early eighties, all the way through to to the more modern stuff, Dread has just been this incredibly prescient nuanced authentic analysis and critique and satire of where we find ourselves right now and i think i think contained within it are the seeds of resistance in the unlikely event that someone has got to the end of this podcast who doesn't really like just tread because frankly <laughs> you know it's one of those editions isn't it where should they start? Uh, that's a very good question. Um, so there's multiple ways in. And we've just started uh, a new series called The Best of 2000 AD. Volume 1 came out at the end of last year. And that's got a couple of dread stories in it, plus some of the other goodies that 2000 AD has to offer. Um, you can uh, you can start with um, the Essentials collection, Judge Dread Essentials, which have all the democracy storylines that, that f- kind of uh, led up to and form around um, the America uh, story that I talked about. They're actually a really good. They've, they've been selling very, very well. And, and those are like the classic kind of mega epics, the big stories that you really want in your collection. If you, if you want to dive in, you can start at volume one of the Judge Dredd Complete Case Files. Um, it takes a couple of volumes to really get going, though you've got things like um, Pat Mills's um, The Cursed Earth in there. If you want to jump to, to I guess the stuff we've been talking about, volume four onwards, um, particularly five, which has the apocalypse war. But that's the delightful thing about Judge Dredd is you can actually start anywhere. It's it's incredibly easy to get into. It's not actually there is continuity, but it's not like American continuity where you won't have a, a clue. Um, you can you can just grab one of the complete case files and just enjoy all these insane stories and um you know you, you can enjoy them on a on a a surface level and um give give uh, give all dread a cheer or uh, you know you can end up writing ninety five thousand words and going crazy over two years <laughs> yes you can i just like the fact that the case files are uh, the the the, uh, the tagline on them is the law in order i find that uh, very satisfying michael mulcher thank you so much for talking to me we could go on for hours but really i suspect good. that the listeners it would <laughs> let's do it over a pint sometime um i am the law how judge dread predicted our future is published on the 23rd of february 2008 is still published every week and i can tell you it is really really good at the moment dread's fantastic there's an excellent new story called the out which is well worth reading and loads of other good stuff too if you've got this far into the podcast then you're definitely our kind of person so please consider supporting us on patreon 
Where else would you get such unique material as this? We'll see you next time. Until then, thank you for gazing into the cast of Pod. Citizens, drop the loot and prepare for sentencing. Charge. Discussing Judge Dredd for three hours in Mega City Podcasting Studio. Sentence. Being cut down to 25 minutes. And death. The Bunker Daily was produced and presented by Andrew Harrison. The lead producer was Jacob Jarvis, with additional production from Jack Gerbertson, Katya Tomashevich, and me, Alex Reese. Our marketing manager was Gina Richard. Music by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. Podmasters.